Hi everyone, welcome to the Good Health Cafe. I hope you've got your warm drink in hand. My guest today is Ms. TJ Payton. TJ is a Georgia native on a mission to raise awareness about male factor infertility. TJ currently works as a public health educator. TJ's infertility journey started in 2013 when after five years of marriage, it was discovered that her husband was the factor in their inability to conceive. TJ used her journal as an outlet to deal with the pain. After several years of coping with their infertility through her journal, TJ finally got the courage to share her story with the world through her book, Semen Secrets, Truths and Confessions of a Wife's Journey Through Male Infertility. TJ's journey to parenthood was not easy, but in 2019, TJ and her husband were blessed to finally realize their dream of becoming parents to a beautiful baby girl. In this episode, TJ shares her infertility and adoption journey with us. Let's get to the episode. Hi, TJ. Welcome to the Good Health Cafe. Could you please introduce yourself to the audience? Yes. Hi, my name is TJ Payton, and I am the author of the book, Semen Secrets, A Wife's Journey Through Male Factor Infertility. Um, And I'm also a very strong advocate of... um, Supporting couples going through male infertility, um, definitely uh, focusing on minority couples, um, not a lot out there about infertility in general, and not a lot of people that look like me in this space. And then just also being an advocate for infertility in, in general, um, supporting marriages and hopefully giving people insight into this condition and how it can affect a couple as well as individuals. Thank you for coming. It's really important work that you're doing. So can you tell us a little bit about your story? What was your plan for your family? How did you begin this journey? Um, So my husband and I have known each other since we were little kids, like around five, six years old. We grew up in the same church. But we didn't start dating until our senior year in high school. We stayed together and then we got married. Um, And it took about, we wanted to like enjoy our marriage. We were young. We were married in our early 20s. So we didn't rush to have kids. Yeah. Um, So after about year four, we were married. We're like, okay, you know, we've had our fun ready now to start this whole trying to have a child. And so we tried for a year and nothing happened. So uh, it was 2013 when we uh, went to go get tests. And I thought it was me because I had issues with cysts and fibroids. So I just assumed that, okay, it's it's me. Mm-hmm. And my doctor was like, no, it's not you, but maybe your husband should get checked. And we're like, what? Why? There's nothing wrong with him. Like, oh man, definitely black man. Like we're super fertile. Definitely. It's never the guy's problem. <laughs> <laughs> right. So um, we did a semen analysis and I never forget the day the nurse called and she said, you know, we didn't find anything. And I'm like, I knew it. Like I knew there was not an issue. She was like, no, we didn't find any sperm. And after that, it's like in an instant, my life changed. Um, Definitely. I had this plan about being a mom. I wanted to have all my kids by the time I was 33. And so I wanted three kids by 33. And um, I was hoped by 30, then I pushed it back to 33, but then um, it didn't happen. So 
uh, here we are. And how did you handle that? Well, tell us about how you took the news. What, what was that process like? It was a blow. And I say that to say, um, not to say that my husband and I are prideful, but you know, every we were like that couple. We were the first in our friends to get married. We had really good jobs. We're really successful. So in our mind, you know, it was just a progression of we fell in love, we got married and we're having kids. Like that's, that is the, that's it. That's the equation. So when she told me at first, I I couldn't catch my breath and I'm thinking like, okay, no, I waited for her to call back and tell me we made a mistake. I was lying, Mm -hmm. (laughs) something. And she never called back. And so I went through a wave of emotions um, because I couldn't really gather my thoughts. I was so confused. I had never heard about male infertility, not something we talked about in our households with our friends who didn't know anybody. The people we did know, it was miscarriages, but nothing like this. Mm -hmm. And so I was concerned about him and how he was going to take the news. But I also was like, what what is my purpose now? Like, I'm not going to be a mom. So what else is there to to do and to be? And, um, you know, you just feel like a loss of a purpose at at that particular moment. So I was very confused, I guess I would say. Okay. And how did you handle that, that grief? I know, like in the book, you said he didn't want you to tell anybody, but you still kind of told some people. And how did you guys navigate that? We didn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he was very angry that I, I reached out to some people, but I needed somebody to help me. Uh, it was very hard as a wife to keep his secrets, to carry his grief. And you no know, men don't usually share. So there were days when I wouldn't know which way he's going to come, how he's feeling. And for me, I mean, I just didn't know how to process that. I couldn't handle my own emotions and handle his. And they talk about the stages of grief. And it was the first time I actually had experienced that grief. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even though I didn't lose someone, I I did lose someone. You did. Because I, I, I lost, you know, my idea of what it meant to be a a a family. And then I I was losing my husband emotionally, physically, like just losing it. So the stages went from some days I was angry. Some days I was sad. Some days I, I, you know, I was depressed. Some days I was anxious. You know, I got sick of people asking me about being pregnant or when I was going to be pregnant. And it's like, please leave me alone. So I had to talk to someone and I wanted to talk to people who I knew were going to get a prayer through. Like I'm, I'm very spiritual. And so, you know, I wanted that, you know, you have your friends, but I want those people. If God's on the line with somebody, he's going to hang up because you call it. So I needed to, you know, confide in someone and not necessarily our parents initially, uh, because I knew their I couldn't handle their grief as well. So, um, yeah, he didn't like it, but I I had to get it out to someone because I was overflowing with emotions and it was hard for me to keep it together. Did you ever seek counseling or some sort of external third party? Um, no. And in retrospect, I think that we should have, um, we, 
we tried like one or two sessions, but not necessarily to talk about the infertility. It's like, we don't know how to communicate, but really there was an underlying issue that no one really wanted to talk about the elephant in the room. So it was like pointless. Mm -hmm. And I don't think we were in a space to receive what a counselor had to say, because in my mind, what are you going to tell me about not being a mom? What are you going to tell me about these feelings, especially if either A, you are a mom, you can't tell me, well, this is what Mm -hmm. it's like not to be. And if you're not, what what do you have to sow into me at this point outside of talking to me about grief? And so not to say it was a right space to be in at the time, but it was the space I was in. Right. And I really wanted to, you know, shake my husband into understanding how this is affecting me. And so he doesn't like to talk in general. And he definitely wasn't going to a stranger to say, I can't have a kid. I don't know. I mean, what do I do? So um, we did not go to the counseling and I, maybe I should have gone by myself just to go, mm-hmm. but I didn't go. Right. So you two had very different grieving processes and yours involved letting it out and talking to people to share how you're feeling. And oftentimes the people you're talking to are not undergoing infertility challenges. So in your experience, if somebody came to, like if somebody tells their friend, oh, I'm experiencing this, what are some good things to say? And what are some bad things to say? Because as you touched on it, well, you don't really know how I'm feeling because you have a kid. So like, what can you tell me? So how can, what are good things and bad things to say to somebody who's going through this? The first thing is to sometimes say nothing. Mm. And just listen, because you could make the person feel like you, they're carrying your grief too. So sometimes it's best not to say anything. Um, Things that people try to avoid are just pray. And I'm like a strong Christian, but at the time I was angry at God. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't want to pray to who? What? No, I don't want you to pray. I pray a lot and I'm still praying. And, you know, he's over here turning water into wine and letting people walk on water. And I'm just asking for one little sperm, like just swim on up. It's really small. I think it's it's smaller than a mustard seed. Come on, Jesus. So just pray was definitely not what I want to hear. You know, maybe it's not God's will. Well, you know, the Bible says, be fruitful and multiply. And the Bible is his will. So what are you talking to me about? Uh, you know, It'll happen when you stop thinking about it. Well, I can't stop thinking about it. So what are you talking about? Um, you know, you could come keep my kids. I don't want your kids. I want my kids. <laughs> so don't tell me about coming to pick up your kids. You know, you're a great auntie. You're a great godmother. Like, okay, but I still don't want your kids. I want my own kid. Um, and so things that my friends would say that were helpful were, you know, I understand that you just need somebody to listen or, um, well, you know, try to not divert the conversation, but you know, let's talk about you know, how you're feeling right now. Just tell right. me how you're feeling. Tell me what you're thinking. Tell me what you would like me to do. Um, a lot of them understood that I can't come to your baby shower and I can't uh, go to your kid's birthday this week. I can send you a gift, but they respected the boundary that it's not that I'm being nasty or mean. It's just that 
I don't have the emotional capacity to give that to you right now. And they let me know, like, that's okay. I'm, I'm here for you. I support whatever decision you want to make. Let's talk through some decisions. Let's talk through how you're feeling today. Um, the one thing that I think my friend did challenge me because I don't need somebody to always give me a pity party. And so when I was really like trying to wallow in my sorrow, my best friend said, do you want to be pregnant or do you want to be a mom? Mm -hmm. And it stunned me because I got me like, what are you saying? But when I sat back and think, thought about it, it was so true and such uh, points I had never considered mm -hmm. because she made me see that pregnancy and being a mom are not the same. And you could be a mom and never be pregnant. So what is it that you want? What is the real thing that you feel like you're missing? Is it the pregnancy? Because that's just a thing. Or is it that you want to be a mom? Because there are ways you can still do that. So I, I also think that sometimes friends don't allow you to waddle in your pity and wallow in your sorrow. Um, but they do it in a way that's careful with your feelings. And it has to be a good friend because if it's somebody that kind of doesn't really know you, it could, it could break your heart. Right. Um, but those are some things you should and shouldn't say. And definitely, and I, I talk about the spiritual, but the spiritual people, they want to throw you some scriptures. And I'm just like, okay, I know. Thank you. But it's not working for me. So let's talk about something else. Um, so th those are some things I, I would recommend. How did you guys transition from, I guess, stages of, of grief to being in a good place? What, was there a turning point? What was the turning point? So we had been at the lowest point in our marriage and we stopped going to church. And so the year, I think it was 2016, where we really started back going, we went to church one Sunday. And the pastor talked about moving forward after grief and moving forward after loss. And so he uh, gave the image of a Band-Aid and you have this wound. And when you put a Band-Aid on it, it heals on the outside, but you have to open the wound for it to heal on the inside. And that's how he explained the difference between grief and mourning. And we realized we had grieved a lot, a lot, a lot, you know, went through this whole cycle of grief, but we hadn't been able to mourn that that loss. And so both processes are important in order to move forward after grief. So after that sermon, we kind of like kind of settled like, okay, this is the piece we were missing. And we also realized that we grieve differently. Here he was saying, I don't want you to do this. And I'm saying, I want you to do this. And we were saying the same things to each other, but not respecting how each other processed okay. that particular grief and mourning. So we made a decision that we would let each other process um, and just kind of not pushing him and forcing him to try to do some things that have a baby and also me just kind of letting go. And um, we got to a point where we could communicate. So I think the turning point for me was uh, when he expressed that he thought about committing suicide early on because of not being able to have a child. And it was like, it struck me because I never thought 
that was even a thought. And it kind of just reframed my whole mind. Like here I am, you know, grieving over a child I was never promised and putting that child over a husband I promised to love in front of everybody. So my priorities were out of line. And that became a turning point. I think the hardest thing for me to do was confront the term never. And when I talked about, you know, wanting to have kids, never having kids was hard for me to say. Mm-hmm. I always wanted a child, but I had to come to a point where it was like, okay, God, if you're going to give me a child, then it's going to have to be effortless and you're going to have to do it. And if I'm never going to be, if I'm going to live child-free, if we're going to live child-free, then what is my purpose? What are those things that you're going to fill in that space? Because right now it's empty mm-hmm. and I need to understand what that is. And once I let go, it was freeing. And I cried for about two or three days because I wrote, I'm a journaler. So I wrote never in big words on one page. And I just cried and cried and cried and cried and cried, like never be a mom. It just, I had to get it in my whole being. And I think that was a turning point for all of us. And I just made up in my mind, like, either you're going to do it or you're not. And if you're not, then I got to let go and move on with my life. And so we moved on. Very nice. Did your husband have problems with baby showers too? Well, he never went before, so it wasn't an issue, but he did not want people to know. So he was always like, well, let's really good gift or let's, you know, make sure that we are involved with our God children and different things like that. Not to say he wasn't grieving in that way, but the emotional part of it wasn't there for him. He could disconnect one from the other and still be present. For me, I, I started going, you know, initially, but I just remember one time I went in Baby Zarus and it was like, it was a pregnant woman on every single aisle and every single like crevice of the store. Mm-hmm. And so I got in the clothing section and I just broke down and cried. And the lady was like, I know I'm so excited about my baby too. And I just ran out of the store. And that's when I realized, okay, I, I cannot do this anymore. Like I cannot go to another baby shower. I, I just can't, I'll send you something, but, but I can't do it. Um, because I'm tormenting myself to try to make others feel better. And it, it just wasn't a good cycle to continue in. Hmm. That makes me think of the holidays. What did you say at family gatherings when people asked you, so when's the baby coming? So I always said, you know, in God's timing uh, or, you know, whenever the universe decides it wants to give us a baby, um, we're not in a rush. So you just kind of make the run in the mill until it has started being so long since the time started passing. It's like, they still not pregnant. Like what's going on? And then people kind of stopped asking. Um, sometimes the older family members like, what are you doing wrong? You need some advice? Like, no, I think, I think we got it over here. Maybe I think we got it over that side, you know? So, um, it, it was tough. I think and definitely when we would go to family events and other people would be pregnant or do their announcements or have babies, Sometimes I would have to go cry somewhere or go like have a quiet time um, just to process because it it got to be a bit overbearing. And then not even people saying anything like wishing that my mom and my dad and 
my in-laws had a baby from us to buy gifts for and to experience, you know, Christmas and Thanksgiving with that was so important to me. Um, and it was hard to go through holiday after holiday after holiday, summer after summer after summer, and have to play with my nieces and nephews and not have a baby of my own to introduce. So, so that was tough. What made you decide to finally share your story? I had written the journal, my, my journal, and I was talking to my friend about, oh, there are no resources out there for me. And I can't find any support groups and I I can't find anybody that is talking about male infertility and someone that looks like me, um, you know, not saying that it it is racially or ethnically biased, but black men just had a different way of dealing with infertility. I found when looking at the space in its entirety and minority men, Hispanic men, just, just different culturally speaking about how we talk about this issue. And so I was complaining and my friend said, well, why don't you just create your own space? And I was like, okay, what, what do I do? And I, by training, my background is in English and communication. So it's like, well, I guess I'll write a book. And so I, I wrote the book and uh, I had the book finished, but I wanted the ending to be, I'm going to have a baby. I have my baby, this miracle. And every year, like for t- Two years, it was like, well, where are the babies? I can end this book. And so finally I prayed and it was like, you, you have to put the book out because for some people, that's never going to be their ending either. And so I put the book out, not having a child at the time and just saying, well, hopefully this will resonate with somebody who was also waiting for an ending that never comes. And that's how I decided to put out the book in hopes that it would reach somebody, anybody, um, talk about male infertility in a way that's honest and that's raw, because a lot of times we don't want to share our feelings. And definitely as Christians, it's, you know, you, you were angry at God. What do you mean? So having those conversations that you sometimes have in your mind, I know a lot of women who have read the book said, oh my gosh, you said exactly what I was feeling, but I felt like I was wrong to feel. And you helped me realize like, no, it's very valid and it's a very valid feeling. And, you know, I've known two people to say, you saved my marriage because here I was going to give up on my husband. But because I read your book and how you stuck in there with your husband, now I realize my husband's just grieving. He's not intentionally being mean or not intentionally putting, you know, pushing me away. He's hurt because he can't give me everything, you know, and that's what we signed up for. So for me, it was therapy, but also it was to help others. Um, And at the time, I didn't really see it that way. But in retrospect, now that I've put the book out and I've gotten a few people to read it, it makes sense why I put it out, the time I put it out, and that it didn't have the ending about having a child. Okay. You, so now we know that you have a child. How did you get to that point? Um, we adopted. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because I made a statement, like I said, that it was 2017. And I said, I'm not going to pursue having a child, nothing. But we said we would just do a home study. We had tried to adopt um, before through the state. 
but it was a very convoluted process. And we were denied by the state because we have a pool in our backyard. And they told us that because we couldn't put a four foot fence around our already fenced in pool, mm-hmm. that um, it could be a hazard to the infant for drowning. And so they had a supervisor come out, but the way our pool is structured, there's no way to put another structure around it. Um, we looked at uh, foster to adopt and the person ended up, the baby was up for adoption after fostering, but then the grandmother said they wanted to take the baby. So that went out the window. Um, we looked at sperm donation. Me and my husband defer on sperm donation because he says, I said, I didn't want to do it. And I said, in my, he told me out of his mouth, he wanted to do it, but in my mind and what I heard was in his heart, I did not feel that he wanted to do it. So we didn't do that. Um, surrogacy, I could carry my own child. So why was I going to pay somebody to do that? And then of course, with embryo adoption, again, we would have to pay for the embryo and then have to pay for, um, the process of inserting the embryo. So everything was a cost. So we said, okay, we're just going to do a home study and see what happens. So I think about two weeks after we finished our home study, uh, we just put the book out there to see, we had to do a profile book to see, you know, if anybody would even Mm -hmm. pick us as parents. And sure enough, somebody said, hey, I want to see if these people are potential parents. And it just happened out of the blue. Like one day we weren't even thinking about it. And the next day, oh, we may need to buy a crib. Mm-hmm. And um, so it happened so fast. But that very next year, at the beginning of the year, we welcomed our baby girl. Um, I've had her since she was in the hospital. Um, I got to do everything, the skin to skin. Uh, they have different mechanisms where you can simulate breastfeeding. So I got to experience that whole sensation um, and and experience and that bonding experience. And it has transformed our lives. Um, My husband always says, you know, it's something when you have your own baby, because that's that's a miracle. Mm -hmm. But when somebody can look at 10 pages of your life and decide, I want these people to have something I've carried for nine months. It's huge. Um, And I told God, I guess it it says a lot about who you think we are. Um, And it also showed me that God didn't waste my tears. Uh, He saw every tear he understood. And I think had she come any sooner, we would not have been ready. We would not have been open and receptive. And had she come any later, maybe we would have been in a different space. Um, so she came at the right time in the right moment. Um, and I call her my impossible possible because it's what I thought was impossible. And so my friend laughs and she keeps saying, well, did you want to be pregnant or did you want to be a mom? Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, I don't want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> so um, definitely being a mom it, it is like awesome. That's awesome. Congratulations. So how did you overcome the pool situation? I didn't. So we cannot, we did a private adoption. Okay. Um, so it was through a friend of ours um, had adopted two girls through an attorney. Uh, an attorney worked with them to adopt their two girls. So the attorney actually called her 
and say, hey, I have this mom that wants to give their baby up for adoption. Do you know someone? And so it's so funny because she called me. She said, we have a baby. And I thought, oh, you guys are adopting a third child? She was like, no, you have a baby. It's like, okay. She said, I told them that you would take the baby, but I don't know if you'll take the baby. Will you take the baby? <laughs> said, okay, let me just ask and like, let's settle down and let's look at everything. So um, it, that's how we actually found out about uh, our, our daughter. Okay. So the rules around the swimming pool and fencing, they're different if you do private versus public adoption. Right. right gotcha. Right. And how did you announce the birth of your baby? Because, you know, I guess there were still people in your life who didn't know that you guys were having challenges and now they're going to see you with this baby. How did you do that? So for our close family and friends, we actually um, had a sonogram from the birth mother and we did Christmas cards because she was coming that early that next year. And uh, we did a Christmas photo shoot with us and the dog and we put the sonogram in an ornament. And so it was fun. And we sent it to like close family and friends. And so I'll never forget his grandma was like, what's this thing in the ornament? What is that? And so it was funny because some people were looking at the picture like, is she pregnant? I didn't know that she was fat. Well, she was kind of fat, but I didn't want to say anything. So people were trying to like reconcile like, was she pregnant? Was she not pregnant? So then for those close family and friends, they kind of got the clue like, okay, um, when we finally like told the world, you know, how I asked my friend when she got adopted, you know, her doctor, her children, I was like, hey, you know, yesterday I saw you and you did look pregnant, but today you have a baby. Can I ask you about it? So it's funny because you find out how many people want to know about adoption and how many people are struggling with something and they never had the courage to ask someone and they'll ask, they'll ask, could they ask, you know, yeah. can I ask you, but you're already asking me. So just go ahead. And it, <laughs> it, it, it became a, wow. I did not realize how many people didn't even, don't even know adoption is an option or have always wanted to know about the process and how it works. And you know, dispel any myths about, you know, uh, open versus closed, different processes you can go through. So um, that's how we kind of got through that hump. I mean, people know, but now she's been with us so long till people think that she's ours. I mean, she has my husband's mannerisms. So everything about him is her. Um, It's the we, it, it, it is true that people say when even if you adopt a child, you have the child long enough, they become a part of you. Um, and then too, what about being a mom? You know, I was concerned with, well, there are certain hormones and things that kick in when you actually birth a baby. So I've heard, but it's amazing when you get that first kind of skin to skin or that first touch, how the world changes and it kind of clicks on that, that, that nature versus nurture type um, discussion. So it has been definitely, um, a little funny about how some people are like, oh, is that your book? Well, oh, I don't want to ask. And so you have to make people feel okay with having a conversation. Like, you're not offending me. I know that you want to ask me, so just go ahead. And it usually like makes people feel better about talking about it. That's very cool. Yeah, I think you you mentioned, I think you had a friend who did it on Facebook in, in your book. And then you did it with the ornament. That's really adorable. 
Okay. Is there anything that you would tell your former self, like now that you're at this stage in the journey? I would have asked my former self the question earlier, do you want to be pregnant or do you want to be a mom? I think that would have made some things in a perspective. I also would have told my earlier self that I'm not alone, that there are other people and that I just need to trust the purpose when I can't see the hand. That there's a purpose and a plan for everything, good, better, and different, whether we want to talk about it or not. Um, and sometimes we don't understand with with death, with sorrow, with happiness, with joy. We don't know what what the future holds, but everything is purposeful. And so I would have told myself that everything you're going to go through is purposeful for you. Because had I not gone through what I went through, I wouldn't be on this podcast talking to you. Yeah. So there is a, a reason for why it was you, why you were the vehicle. And sometimes I ask, you know, why was I the vehicle? There are like millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of other people who I feel like should be the vehicle, but you chose me. So um, I, I don't know why. Uh, and sometimes I will say that it's still, you still have those thoughts. Like I still want to be a mom in terms of experiencing pregnancy or having our own child. But I would tell myself it's going to be okay. Not to say that you get over it. I know some people would say that's another thing. You'll get over it. You don't. You don't mm-hmm. get over infertility. Even when you have a child, then it goes to feeling like, oh, all these people who don't know what it's like to be parents, like once you open up that world. So you just never get over it, but you learn how to press through it. And I think I would have told my former self, like, you can do this, girl. Just got to take it all in um, to kind of calm down and not be so dramatic. And also just how to treat my husband to give him grace. And I was so focused on being a mom and wanting to it was kind of selfish, but I wanted people to see me pregnant. Like, you know, we're that couple. We have to have a baby. Like, this is going to be out of the other trajectory of the power couple track we're on. So I would tell myself that, you know, put it on pause. Like, it's okay. There's no, um, you have to learn how to deal with imperfection in what you think is perfection. Mm. And so, um, that's something that I would tell myself. What would you tell somebody who got a diagnosis of infertility today? If it was male infertility, at first I wouldn't tell them anything because I think I would want to understand where they are and how they're processing. So I would ask a question, well, how do you feel? You know, how, how are you mm-hmm. feeling? Because I think sometimes people would have known how to respond to me if they would first had asked me where I was. Mm. Um, and so I, I know a lot of times people on the surface, I would be out to, to the world. A lot of people who read my book that didn't know, like cried, like a lot of my friends, because they're like, we didn't know, like, you know, you, you were so this, you were so there. Oh my gosh. Why didn't you tell me? I said, because you would have been doing this and I can't have you crying and me crying too. It would not have worked. So I wouldn't tell them anything at first. I would ask them how they feel and, and to be honest about how you feel. If you're angry, if you're sad, if you're, if you don't know how to feel, and then that would direct my conversation or my comment to them. Um, a lot of people, I tell them, 
you know, if there's one person who knows how you feel, I know how you feel. But the one thing I would stress is that you need to feel. Mm-hmm. Don't try to suppress whatever that feeling is because that only makes it worse. To tell yourself that you're going to be okay and you're not okay doesn't help you mentally, doesn't help you emotionally. It only pushes it further back to where you can explode. So if it would be one thing, I would tell them to feel. Cry if you have to. Scream if you have to. Be angry if you have to. Sometimes you're going to get jealous. Sometimes you're going to get envious. These are very real feelings that you're feeling. And don't go and do anything crazy, of course, but but feel, you know, and once you're and don't try to pursue parenthood just yet. Like let yourself feel first. Don't go into depression for a long period. But for me, I, it was one thing. Well, we found out. So now we need to try to do find you some sperm. And now we need to try to get your testosterone up and just going process after process after process without processing. Mm. And that became detrimental to our mental space. So before you decide what action you're going to take, deal with the hand that you were given in terms of processing. What does this all mean? Um, and another thing I would tell them is don't don't Google your diagnosis. Like, you know, it was, we Google a little sperm and I was like, well, you may have this. You may have that. Oh, you may have this. And so it got to a point where we were stressing ourselves because we were Googling how this all happens. And then the the final thing I would say is make sure they get a good urologist um, and a good fertility specialist, somebody with excellent bedside manner. I think that we would not have been able to survive this had it not been for my husband's urologist because he was very honest and had us deal with the reality of our situation. But he will always end with, you know, but there's always room for a miracle and there's always other options. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to push them to you, but I will tell them to you, but I'm here to support whatever you decide. And so it was very good that he had a bedside manner because I was some days we would go in there and we would be hysterical, upset. Some days I would have Googled this whole 20 page study. Okay, so I want to talk about this study. Why aren't we doing any of these procedures? Because this is what Google says we should be. Dr. Google says we should be doing this. And so he would laugh, but he would take the time to go through, well, this is why we can't do this. This is why we can't do that. And this is what we can do. So it's very important to get that perspective. And then Find somebody to talk to that you can confide in. Um, I think had we not, had I not had um, the friend that told you that adopted their two kids, that I could call her um, at any time, one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning, just any time I could ring her phone and say, I can't do this today. Like I cannot face today. And she would kind of talk me through the process. Okay, let's talk about it. You can, let's go through the process. Um, I think it's important. And yes, I think you should get counseling. But if you're not at a place of going to counseling, you at least need to get at a place where it's somebody you can talk to and somebody that's going to talk to you in a way that doesn't always leave you feeling sorry for yourself. That kind of helps you think about your process, think strategically about things and think through things. Listen, 
but not let you leave on the phone in the state you were in when you started. Would you say they there are also things that they could, should consider if they decide that they want to try adoption? Like now that you've kind of processed your grief a little bit and you're thinking, okay, I think this is a route I might want to go. Anything they should consider on adoption? One, you have to get home study. Uh, so you want to make sure that you have, um, that's before you start any process with the state of private adoption, you want to make sure that you research different different agencies offer home studies. Some offer home studies and they do the adoption routes, the, the whole adoption process for you. Some just do the home study. Um, and you want to make sure you have great references because they're going to ask people to tell them about you. And so you have to have, that kind of business side of the adoption. And it, it, it's not free. So you definitely have to consider the money aspect, finding a good adoption attorney, asking about the fees that they charge. So you understand the costs going into um, and the, the, the costs that could be potentially, um, you know, some birth moms want a lot of things. They want you to pay for different things. And there's always a risk, just like there's a risk with IVF. There's a risk that you could pay all this money. And when you get to the hospital, the mom decides she wants to keep her baby. And you don't get your money back and you don't get a baby. So you have to consider the risk. Um, another thing I would say is know your laws. Know the laws in your state about adoption know how um, interstate adoptions work, intrastate adoptions work, um, because if you go out of state, that's an additional cost because you'll need an attorney in that state as well. Know how long the birth mother can, has to consider um, keeping the baby. In some states, the mom has 10 days. In Georgia, it used to be 10, but the year we um, adopted our daughter, they changed it to four days that the mom had to decide. But if it happens on a weekend, she gets it's four business days mm. to decide. So, how are you going to respond in that four days if the mom decides she wants the baby back? Um, and so, once you've dealt with the business side of it, then you have to decide whether you're going to go through an agency to do an adoption um, because agency fees are crazy ridiculous. Sometimes you pay the agency more than you pay the mom sometimes. Uh-huh. Um, but there's also attorney adoption attorneys out there who get get clients that people just come straight to the attorney and that's a cheaper alternative to um, going through an agency. And then you have to do a profile book There are also tons and tons of people who say they do profile books and they are expensive, $700. I did mine on PowerPoint, free 99. And it it turns out great. So I did it on PowerPoint, put it in a PDF and did not pay someone to do it for me. So there are things you can do to try to understand the costs involved, but it's not just, you know, Oh, let me look in this book, pick baby A, and boom, it happens. Um, there's also a legal process afterwards. Um, yes, you take custody of the baby, but your adoption is not finalized until a couple of months later because it has to go through the courts. And know your situation because um, it, there's a process for them, them to report about um the mom in in the paper, the mom has to report that she is giving her baby up for adoption. If it's the father, 
situation where you don't know where the father is, you know, those types of situations also have to um, be navigated. And then if you want to open our closed adoption or a semi-open adoption, a closed adoption, don't call me, I don't call you, open adoption, oh, we're talking all the time, you know, some even have like, it's almost a co-parenting, some, you know, like they're a part of the family, semi-open, I'll send you pictures, um, you know, I'll let, you know, email you things, that sort of thing, but you're not coming over to my house, being a part of my family. Right. So those are things you have to consider um, when you, some of the things you have to consider when you want to stop. So can you tell us about your book? Where can people find it? Who's it for? How do they find you? My book, Seaman Secrets, is available on Amazon. Uh, you can get it in Kindle and you can also get a paperback. Um, and if you want to learn more about me or you want to learn more about the book, you can go to www.seamansecrets.com. And that tells you, uh, gives you an overview about the book. If you want to know more about me, um, you can follow me uh, at TJ Payton uh, on Instagram. And I'm also TJ Payton on Facebook. I also started a small Facebook group called The Wife and Male Infertility. So if you want to join the Facebook group, um, it's, it's small and sometimes we're not as active on the group, but all of the women in that smaller group uh, are dealing with male factor infertility. And there are also larger groups on Facebook that are dealing with male factor infertility. And then I also have a Instagram page for my book at Seaman Secrets. Um, if you just want to find out more about um, the book and I take DM me anytime. Um, and I'm always checking my Instagram page at TJ Payton and also my Facebook page because I post events, I post information, like whenever we view this podcast, I will post information about that, um, and any events that I do or any speaking engagement. So you can definitely tune in. And, and like I said, I, I want to be a resource. So no question is ever too silly or ever too personal to ask uh, about my infertility journey because I'm definitely here to help people. So uh, if you want to DM me, just feel free and uh, I'll try to help as much as I can. It's it's nice that you said that you started that Facebook group because I remember earlier you said when you began this journey, there wasn't much resources. In the years now that you've been advocating or being a representative for male infertility, have you seen the space grow or is it still small? I've seen the space grow, but um, in, for minorities, it's still very, very, very small. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I, I do think that a lot more people now are wanting to know about male infertility, but it's still hard to find men that want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, my husband is one of those men that do not. A lot of men do not. Um, and then also considering that if the woman is infertile, that male is also dealing with infertility. And even on that side where it's the female um, and the man is the person that's like me, even those men that are minorities still don't want to talk about it. So in that respect, the space is still small. It's still hard to come across a man who's just willing to open up and really share. So I'm hoping that one day um, my husband and others like him comes to a space where maybe they do want to talk. Uh, but if they don't, you know, that's that's a choice. I can just mm-hmm. be a voice and an advocate for the wives, the women in this situation um, to hopefully help them advocate for their husbands um, and advocate for themselves. Yes. But How- yes, th- there are groups out there. 
How has his reaction been to this book and all that you've been doing, seeing that you're helping all these people? Um, he is supportive. Um, you know, his thing is, if this is what you need to do to feel better and to have that therapy to help other people, then, hey, I'm, I'm here to support her. Not saying that I'm going to go out and put my face on a book or do a bunch of speaking engagements. Now, if Oprah calls, then I'm on the show. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, outside of Oprah and the Obamas, I don't know if he's going to like <laughs> go anywhere. But um, I will say he just wants me to be successful with it um, and wants to make sure that uh, other people are benefiting from our story. So my goal always is to make sure that I do well with his pain. And what I mean by that, if, if I'm going to put his pain out there along with my pain, I want to make sure that I handle it with care. Um, so anytime I go and have a speaking engagement or I'm talking about something, I also have to be cognizant that there's somebody on the other end of that and I need to handle the conversations with care. So I do try to do that. Um, every time I, I talk. That's so beautiful. As we close, TJ, do you have any closing thoughts, any other takeaways that you learned, anything else that you want to share with the audience? Um, I think the last thing I would share is just to speak to anyone out there who does have a diagnosis. Um, and again, I will reiterate, please feel, please do not go through this feeling like, I can't feel. I think suppressing feelings was one of the worst things that I've done, um, that I did in trying to process and also trying to figure out how am I going to be pregnant? Like, how am I going to have this baby? Mm -hmm. um, so you have to decide, do you want to be pregnant or do you want to be a mom? And if you want to be a mom, there are paths you can do that and to explore. And after you explore our options, if no option works for you, then you have to find a way and a place to be okay with living child-free and making that decision. And there are support groups for people who decide to live child-free. Um, and find a group, find someone you can talk to. Now there are support groups for just minority women. There are support groups for marriages. There are support groups for those um, male infertility. Not as many, but there are support groups. So if you want to get with others who may be going through the same thing, find someone to talk to. Don't do this journey alone. Doing it alone, you can't get in your head. And the mind is the, the most terrible place to be sometimes. So you want to help people get out of your head, get out of that space and talk through some of the things you're feeling. Thank you so much for coming to the Good Health Cafe, TJ. This was wonderful. And I want to thank you for the platform, um, for inviting me. I, I think this is awesome what you're doing. Um, I wish you blessings for this, um, to, to have me on, to see that this is an important issue. So thank you. I appreciate you sharing your platform to allow me to share my story. Thank you. I truly appreciated TJ's candor and vulnerability in discussing such a sensitive topic. If you would like to learn more about her story, I highly recommend buying her book and following her on social media. If you would like to connect with TJ, I have placed her contact information in the episode notes. Would you like to share your story with us? If so, send us a message through our website, thegoodhealthcafe.com. If you're enjoying the podcast, please give it a review on Apple Podcasts. 
Did you know that the Good Health Cafe also has a blog? Subscribe to our mailing list on thegoodhealthcafe.com to get updates when new blogs or episodes are posted. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram too. See you in the cafe next time. Bye.